Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Revenue Growth Architects podcast. It's Chrissy here with Xander and Charlie. And today we're celebrating. It's our 200th episode of the podcast, which is a huge feat. You know, most podcasts never even make it past episode three. So we're in it. Still going since 2019. So I still remember um, when I when I was like, it's not a good idea to do a podcast. We shouldn't do it for a while. And then you convinced us to do it. And now we've done 200 episodes. So well done for getting us to do it. <laughs> yeah. And Xander from listener to co-host, you know, Wild journey. evolution. There, yeah. So. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like, I feel like right around 100 is probably what, probably when I started listening. So yeah. yeah. Because of that today, we're going to do more of a fun episode and we, in the past, I think on the 100th episode, we had like our top tips for 2022. But this time, we're going to have you guys learn from our failures. And actually, I, I really like that concept because I feel like it's just true. Like, I feel like once you've had a big mistake or failure, you're more likely going to learn from that than having not. I mean, I think most operators, especially if you did campaigns early on, you made enough mistakes, you're like, I check things 5 million times, you know, and then you never make them again. But I've listened to podcasts where it's all about learning from people's failures, or I think there's this thing called like the failure museum or something from a VC and talking about all the startup failures. I just think it's really fun. So yeah, so we're going to talk about our biggest oops, failures, mistakes, leadership wise, or just in our role of marketing ops or revenue ops. So yeah, who's brave enough to start with theirs first? I can start with my moops. And it's a very it's a very familiar one. At the end of the day, I just want to mention that if you're not failing, you're not pushing yourself enough and you're, and you're not taking some risks and you're not taking some chances. So never be afraid to talk about those mistakes. This one is one that probably other people have had, but I actually got into marketing operations more from the sales operations and Salesforce side because I was a business analyst working on Salesforce projects, primarily partnering with the sales ops team. But I had done enough funnel projects and lead scoring projects and things supporting the marketing side that eventually when I made my move into marketing operations, I had all the foundational work, really a lot of good experience. But campaign ops was brand new for me. And I always had somebody on the team who did the, the primary work when it came to campaign operations, or we had it outsourced with an outside agency. But I remember that there was one day that we needed to send out a message to, I think that we had like 250,000 small business customers that we had to send a product message to. And we were leveraging Marketo to send that message out. So the entire day was basically dedicated to coordinating with our BI team, pulling down all of the data. It was a lot of new people in the database that had to come in. So we were trying to make sure that they weren't getting messaged and all of that through like nurtures and things. And so I just remember being very tired and it was an all day endeavor. I was working. It was seven o'clock at night and we were finally ready to go. Nobody else was working. Everybody else went home and they were like, all right, Xander's got this. He's going to do the launch. I had checked the list a hundred times. Felt really good, sent it out. It was an operational email, sent it out to 250,000 customers. I packed up my bag and I started walking back to my car. And I used to park across the bridge in Minneapolis. And I remember being outside. And you know, when you have that moment where you realize like, oh no, I made the mistake. And you can like visualize mm -hmm. that mistake and then your stomach sinks. Like that hit me in the middle of my walk. 
So I ran to a Starbucks that was at the end of the block and I like hopped onto their network. It was closed. So I was just like, I'm sitting outside. It was a cold, like fall evening in Minnesota. And I like pull out my laptop and I check the email and the list was great. The test email that I forgot to replace with the real email was not great. And so that entire send went with placeholder text. That had really like it wasn't bad placeholder text. It could have been worse. It could have been, you know, jokes and things like that. But it was really old messaging of like things that we weren't even selling anymore. And like, make sure to replace this here. And it was so bad. So I remember I called the head of the team and I was like, I'm so sorry, Matt. I can take care of this. You know, I'll send out an apology. I'll do whatever. And he was like, it's very late. Nobody's checking their email. We can address it tomorrow. And something that I really appreciated, this is very uncommon because I feel like if I had sent this to most marketers, they would be like, oh my goodness, fires blaze, right? But he was like, Xander, we're going to get a 10% open rate. And I was like, I've never heard somebody actually like set that example as the one that's the owner, right? And he's like, so out of those 10%, yes, it's embarrassing, but he's like, you didn't break anything that you can't recover from. And so what I learned from that is something that is really helpful of like mistakes happen you do have to recognize what's the overall impact and really try and figure out is the overall impact something that you need to immediately address or is it something that you can address? We took care of it the next day. We had the right Tiger team to take care of it, but I could have done something way worse and sent out another email to everybody and just kind of continued to roll that into the wrong place. But that person really was able to like help set some parameters and say it's not going to be the worst thing in the world. But yeah, that was my first time. And I kid you not, my first time hitting send on a campaign. So (laughs) that was your first I learned my lesson in a big way. (laughs) I mean, are you even do are you even mopsing hard enough if you haven't made a big email mistake like that? Yeah. But being your first email out, that's some real baptism by fire kind of issue you get a little trigger shy when uh when that's your first mistake so how paranoid were you after that with every send because i feel like after you have that i think it gives you the the healthy amount of paranoia to send again and then now you probably it's much less likely to make that mistake after you've made a mistake yeah when you make a big mistake like that you really get your qa processes in place you really share that with your team Like I say, I mean, almost everybody's probably made these mistakes. It's just a numbers game. How many people have made that mistake on their very first one at that scale is maybe the maybe the differentiator. (laughs) All right. What about you, Charlie? My one is actually a bit less mops related. Is that okay? Yeah. And it's arguably not even my fault, but it taught me a valuable lesson. In my first job, my first proper job in tech, feel my title was like marketing assistant or something. And my boss at the time had to take an extended leave right when we were organizing our big customer conference for this tech company I was working for. So I had to step in and basically help run this conference, get all the invites out, get sort out the hotel, basically setting everything up and getting it all done. And it actually ended up being pretty good. And like, there's a lot of customers there. Everyone was very happy or the leadership were very happy. And at one of the kind of the closing, they had like a dinner slash kind of speeches closing event on the last night. They were going through and kind of the agenda was set. 
they were going to do some like kind of wrap up speeches, kind of what people had learned. There's like, I can't remember how many people there. It wasn't massive, it wasn't thousands. It was in the hun- maybe hundreds, like low hundreds or something. And you know, I was sat at the back, feeling very happy with myself that I'd helped organize this. And it was like early in my career and I was getting a lot of, you know, well done, this was great. Like great job doing this kind of thing. Out of nowhere, one of the presenters who was talking through the event was like, oh, and I just want to call out Charlie Saunders for organizing this event kind of last minute. You did a great job. Do you want to come up on stage and tell us all about how you did it? I was also on the graduate program and talk about the graduate program. And I was completely caught off guard. I hated public speaking. So I started sweating, shaking. I was like, okay, like I can't, I can't, you can't say no, right? So walked up onto the stage and just bombed. I still feel, I still feel embarrassed and cringe. (laughs) And I just hate myself for it because I was just mumbling over my words. Didn't make sense. It was just brutal. And I went from being like, I'm great. I organized this thing to just, my God, it was just, I still have nightmares about it. And honestly, I think it gave me like a fear of public speaking that I probably still have today. Like it just really, kind of like the first time, your first time running the send, you had an issue. So my first time on stage in like this kind of capacity and it just was terrible. But what it taught me was just kind of always be prepared for that moment. Like have a talk track. If you're in any situation where maybe there's a public speaking situation or like maybe you're not actively participating or you might have to have some kind of talk track down just in case so taught me a valuable lesson probably still have trauma from it today honestly (laughs) but yeah just ultra cringe oh man my moves isn't that but I did have one time early on my career we did like a Toastmasters training kind of thing I bombed it like literally and it was when I was at Marketo in front of everyone and I just like was choked up and it reminded me of when I was in drama in high school and I tried doing like it and I just would get up on stage and I would lose it like I couldn't remember anything it brought me back to that moment but it was a learning lesson over time that I had I thought oh I'm horrible at public speaking but they were having us memorize our speeches with the Toastmasters and I'm good at memorization but not when my I have nerves but I learned over time okay I shouldn't try to memorize a script because the moment I like miss one word, it throws me off and I crumble. So now I know, okay, when I go into public speaking situations, I actually don't over prepare. I just have my general outline of what I'm going to say and things like that. And I'm way more relaxed. And so it was just like a learning for me of like, okay, it's just not your style. Just because it's someone else's style of like getting people to do well in public speaking doesn't mean it's my style that works for me. Do you think that is is though now because of this, the times when you are speaking publicly, you're speaking about things that you've just spoken about so much now that you don't need to prepare? But like if it was something that was less kind of just like easily recalled, you would need to prepare? I do, but I also think then you shouldn't be the person public speaking about it. 
Yeah. Which also to me, like, is what the weird thing about those Toastmaster things? Because I agree, like, I think they made me talk about some random topic. And I'm like, how can I speak eloquently to this, even though you just gave me like a script to memorize and you can compare? But I agree with that. And that's why I think those type of scenarios and learnings to try and learn how to be a public speaker just don't work, in my opinion. Yeah, my presentation um, on Madonna from sixth grade was not nearly as good as my presentations <laughs> on funnel assessments. So, <laughs> well, Xander, with your acting background, have you ever had that fear or issue, or did you have you always been naturally okay with being up on stage? I feel like I actually could have done a better job at public speaking had I prepared a little bit more because it always came really naturally to me. I mean, my background, I was I was a theater kid growing up in speech, all of those things. So I felt like I could always get in front of people with very little preparation. And then I'm like, wow, what would have happened if I had been like a little more prepared? I'm kind of similar to Chrissy, like give me my talking points and then let me kind of riff off of that. But I remember very vividly a time when I was doing a play and completely lost my lines and then looked around the table. We were we were playing poker in in this scene and everybody else except for one person lost their lines. That was the worst. I mean, we all kind of looked at each other and then just like sweats bulleting. And like the one guy was like, "Okay, I guess I'll just carry this whole scene. Not a good (laughs) feeling. So it, it happens to the best of us for sure. Oh, man. Yeah. All right. My early career moops, and it was while I was working at Marketo in the early times, I think we talk about a lot on this podcast that people probably know I worked at Marketo when it was a young company. I was like their second marketing ops person. But during that time, it was very hardcore. The pressure was very high. The expectations were very high. It wasn't a environment of like, we can make a mistake. Not at all. Um, And granted, it worked really well for them, but it was a very tough environment to kind of learn on the job and things like that. So I think by that time I had another person on my team or a few people or, or something, but we were redoing like our scoring model. And back in the day, like in order to actually get data to score demographically, we didn't have all these like fancy Zoom infos. You know, we had to actually like go and source that data. And the way we could match it to people was actually just running campaigns based on like their company domain. So we'd like strip domains of companies using a competitor or certain industry or something like that. In this case, we did ones where they were using a competitor and we built out smart lists to say like, if their email address contains, you know, at whatever, then we would score them demographically. And we had this concept of like a target. So whoever was a target, like met a certain demographic, then your threshold to MQL was really low. But it was also a a measurement that we just had. And then also at the time, our funnel was all built in Marketo. So we used like Revenue Cycle Modeler. And so if you became an MQL, like instantly that was marked in RCA in the system. And, And then on top of it, we also created... For MQLs, we sent email alerts to our SDRs and we set an interesting moment in Marketo, which everyone knows you cannot remove. So I think someone on my team built the list. You know, if you're a leader, Whoa, you assume passing all... off passing off blame here already. I know. Well, you assume <laughs> responsibility though. Like that's what I mean. And and I was the person to blame because I was QAing it and I went through 
And it was like a thousand domains and it was a few filters because you can only do a few domains in it. I think it was like 1200 domains in one filter or whatnot. And I accidentally missed one of them that was just at. So just if your email address contained at and then no anything after that. And with the new scoring model, then we re-ran it because they were like, oh, we want to be able to see that like if some people could MQL now per our new demographic rules. And if you were using a competitor, basically it was a very low threshold. You're instantly probably going to MQL because at that time, if you're using a competitor and you're interested, they wanted to talk to an SDR. So yeah, we ran that batch and literally set MQLs for hundreds of thousands of leads that met that criteria. I think it was like just around 100,000 or maybe a little bit underneath that. But there was a trickle effect. All of the alerts went out. I had to email all the SDR team. Um, even the interesting moments were set. I had to re- try and put a request into engineering to say like, hey, can you just take out this interesting moment that they're using a competitor and all this kind of stuff. And also it's an MQL. And they were like, no, but we can like change the naming on it. And I was like, okay. And then on top of it, all our reporting showed this massive spike in those people. And at the time, John Miller, bless him, but like he was doing all our reporting and he saw it. And me and my boss basically had to explain what happened. From then forward, like he would even be in like meetings showing our metrics and then he'd be like, oh, sorry for the blip on this month right here. We had a mistake internally. And so I feel like I was just like, usually you have your mistake and then it goes away. Anytime it was like a public like meeting, I was reminded about that mistake and it just killed my soul. So after that, with any like smart list or filters or anything that have like domains, I copy and paste them in, copy and paste them, double check. And I think that's why even today I'll like find mistakes on things that people have in lists because I'm just like so paranoid about it. But well, yeah, rumor uh, has it they're they're still reporting on those now. <laughs> they're still yeah. it still gets brought up in board meetings. Oh my gosh, it was yeah. <laughs> I was just gonna ask, did they update the interesting moment to say Chrissy was here? Is that what that yeah. looked like? Yeah, <laughs> it was Chrissy's mistake. Oh my gosh, and. Like I said, it was not the environment where like your boss where it's like, oh, that's OK, we'll be able to fix it or it's, it's we can roll this back. It was like, wow, that was a really big mistake. How could you guys have let this happen? And so you had to like let that simmer for a, a while. And I was pretty junior at the time. And I don't have that personality type that is like, yeah, I'm just going to like let that go. <laughs> <laughs> Um, So it was tough, but I think that I definitely learned. And yeah, I think that's what all those failures do. It just reminds you. That's why I think for some people that are early on in the career and operations is you always start out very confident and thinking that like, oh, I can do this and all this kind of stuff. You make a few mistakes and instantly you're brought back down to earth and you realize, wow, there's a lot more that I need, you know, I need to be careful about. I need to know. It's complicated and you just continue to do that. Do you want to go around and kind of do the last three here in rapid succession? Sure. I've got a couple, but I'll do them quickly. So one is that time when I sent a 
Tiger King gift to one of our client <laughs> CMOs. <laughs> we were on a texting basis. We were texting about like the contract and other projects and stuff. And for some reason, I was going to send the Tiger King gif of the guy riding the jet ski, slowly taking off his sunglasses, looking directly into the camera. I think I was going to send it to you, Chrissy, maybe. So I don't know why. Yeah. Anyway, I, I think it was like a thread with our friend. Yeah. And I sent it to her and I didn't realize. And then she sent back like, <laughs> like, <laughs> what is this? Because she had never even seen Tiger King. <laughs> so... And I had to explain what Tiger King was, which also is kind of weird because if anyone's seen Tiger <laughs> King, it's like it's kind of hard to explain. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that one taught me check your send lists, even if they're one person big. <laughs> and then the other one is it was actually technically my fault, but it was a really good lesson about not using tokens in autoresponders. One of our clients had a token, like first name in autoresponder that was hooked up to one of their forms. So when someone filled out the form, it would get sent. And then it was in the tens of thousands spam leads come through where they had insert into the first name field, something on the lines of, if you want to see these sexy pictures, go to this link. And with all the leads that were created also were not just like spam email addresses. They were like charlies, saunders at whatever.com. So there were a lot of people that got a random, do you want to see the sexy pics link from my client? So that was a fun one to try and fix for them. So learned, do not in any autoresponder right now, if anyone's listening, remove the first name token. No one cares in a, you signed up for a webinar, hi, Charlie, no one needs that in an autoresponder. Just take it out. It's not worth the risk. So anyway, there's my, my last two. Oof, good call. I will fire off. It's just one. It's more of like a leadership management mistake that I had made. But I remember I had somebody that was really great in their current role. They were doing like data stewardship, cleaning data, operational in nature, but really, really strong person in this role. And we had an opening for an analyst. And so clearly person who's really good at data, I wanted to make them a marketing analyst, right? And I was working really hard to get this person a promotion internally, kind of making that happen. And ultimately, they moved into that role, but it wasn't the right fit. Like they were really good at the operational side of things when it came to governance and all of that. But it's a whole different set of skills on the marketing analytics side. And so then it turned into like I had this really top performer who then was not performing at the same level having to do performance plans and and ultimately having to part ways. And it was somebody that I had so much respect for. And I felt like what the mistake was is that I forced that change. Of course, they were excited. They wanted to have a, have a promotion and all of that. But I forced that change before it was ready. That was 100% on me. That fit did not work out. And I took that very, very seriously. That was definitely one of my lowest moments as a, as a leader and as a manager. The lesson learned and that I take in with the team that I have now and, and that I recommend to any other leaders is finding those opportunities for people to grow in their career is really important. It's part of your job is to help other people grow. 
But give them those opportunities to do that new role before you make that change. Because had I had the right progression plan for them and not force them because we had an opening and we had an immediate need, we probably would have noticed before we made the change, like, oh, this actually isn't a fit. Let's try something else. And that person would have still been in a very strong position at the organization. And so I always say, like, do not force your your team progression. It's very easy to do when like new leadership comes into place because the new leadership is going to come in and say, okay, we have some new positions that I want to have. Is there anybody internally? But like make that a part of their career growth and think about that very, very specifically. So I know these are conversations I'm always having with my team of, okay, you want to do that. Let's find some stretch assignments for you to do while you're in your current role. So that way we know that both of us know it's going to be a fit from a skill perspective, but as well as like an interest perspective. So definitely something that's really important. Yeah. Chrissy Chrissy was actually the one that I attribute hearing that from first years ago, that Mm -hmm. for someone to move, like to to get promoted, they should be partly doing some of that job before Mm -hmm. getting promoted in there. And I think definitely for the reason that you you said, kind of like Mm -hmm. test out if they're ready. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think it's, it is it is something that gets overlooked a lot, but I think mm-hmm. is actually pretty important. I think that's one thing too, is like maybe like letting that person have control of their career. Because I also had something similar where I had someone who had previously worked with me. I really wanted to hire her at a new company. I forced it through. I was really pushing for it. I even had to go to the CEO to try and get her like more pay. And then we're at like the final finish line. And then she pulled out. And I felt very embarrassed at the time because like I had to go all the way to the CEO. My boss is pretty like upset about it. And I was like, you know what? I think I pushed for that more than she actually wanted the job. And that was a learning for me. Like I should have wanted that person to be more interested in it than me just like feeling like, oh, this is a perfect job for this person because it wasn't at the end of the day, like if they don't want it, you know? So yeah, just like another kind of adjacent thing, like the person really needs to like be the person making that decision rather than us or as a leader making that decision for them. Mine, I'm going to do really quick. I just, mine's just another, oops, but unfortunately this was with a client. So it's hard to say on the podcast, but It was when I was like very early postpartum after my first child with Ava and I came back to work pretty quickly, like after eight weeks or so. I think this is maybe like my first week back or second week back or something like that. But I was working with a client to do a switch over to a new market automation platform and we did like a purge of their data and I screwed up some of the like filtering for like who we should probably purge and delete. And I deleted a bunch of people that were valid. And at the time, I was very like probably not in the right mental state to maybe have been working on that type of work. And then also very sleep deprived and things like that. So it was a learning lesson for me. Like, okay, when you're in that vulnerable state, you should not be dealing with that level of of work where you need to be 100% on it. And then at the time, we had a much smaller team, not a lot of resources. And so there wasn't a lot of like, hey, can you just make sure you check this? We we're very strapped as a team. So well, it was just yeah. four of us, right? Yeah, it was just four, and of, four of us. And I wanted to be like, I can do this. You know, I'm back. I was dealing with a lot, though, at the time. So everyone has a different experience, but just 
wasn't in the right space. And luckily, I was smart enough, though, to keep a record of all of the data that we did purge. And so I was able to fix it. But yeah, take your backup, friends. Always have a backup. So I was very grateful for that. Yeah. So that was mine. Lesson learned. But the lesson there, keep a backup. And also, if you're racing back to work after a big life change, you definitely want to ease your way back into things for sure. And have a QA. Have a QA. (laughs) Have a second set of eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Alrighty, everyone. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. It was pretty fun, funny, and you can, you know, we're all humans. We're not perfect. Even us. I know it's hard to believe, but we make mistakes too. So yeah, I hope you enjoyed going down memory lane with us. And if you have a big moops or anything, share it with us or you thought this is funny share it socially and share your moops but um you know keep it to yourself if you want to too i totally understand all right everyone thanks for celebrating 200 with us and thank you for listening all these years if you have been with us and we'll see you next time on revenue growth architects thanks everyone <laughs>